Today we read Psalm 54. This is David's psalm during his time of hiding from Saul. O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Thank you, David. Well, good morning. I love spending time with my boys in their sports, and I've had many opportunities to coach in different arenas, and I'll always be Uh, at the games, on the sidelines, enjoying that. Two of my sons are in baseball, and so I've taken on uh, being an umpire uh, for baseball, which I'm not quite sure why I've done that to myself. Um, Just inflicted wounds uh, upon me. But uh, I love it. I love being with my my kids, and and uh, I've had great joy in being an umpire. Uh, But I had a game this week that uh, was really an interesting game. And I want to set the context. It's my youngest son, and it's, it's minors baseball. So this is, this is kind of nine-year-olds, ten-year-olds. It's, it's, you know, it's just you're out to have a great time. As you move up the levels, it gets pretty intense, but minors is all good fun, you know? Half the kids are f- just learning how to swing the bat. So we're having this game, and I'm the umpire behind the plate, and, and it's a good game, you know, I'm calling it pretty fair, and their ha- coaches are happy with my strike zone, you know, all that stuff. But the parents for this other team, they're just chattering away about my calls, you know, the whole game. Just chatter, 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 chatter. And we're finally getting through the game, and, you know, it's a little bit annoying, but I'm used to, I'm used to talk, and, and it doesn't affect me too much. But here's what happens. We, my son's team, we have some guys on base. It's, it's the last inning, and um, we have a guy on third base. And so I'm behind the plate, and the ball gets loose from the catcher, and our guy decides to steal. So I get in my position. I'm right over the plate. The catcher's trying to, to get the ball and toss it to the pitcher or try to tag the guy out. Our guy comes in. And he slides, and my perspective was he got under the tag, and so I say, safe! (laughs) The parents for the other team, kid you not, they are on the fence, on the fence. That's pure poop! (laughs) Insert other word. All right? And they just kept saying it over and over again. Worst call ever! 
you're terrible. That's just poop. And they just kept coming at me. I mean, they're just in the shaking the fence. I can't believe you made that call. And so I just go over to them and I'm like, safe. <laughs> but I kid you not, if there wasn't a fence there, I think I would have been a dead man. They were angry, angry, angry. And it was just spewing forth this venom. And it was just mean, mean. This is a minors baseball game. And they're just coming at me, coming at me, you know. And the, the commercial comes on in my mind. Ding, want to get away, you know. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I do want to get away. David was feeling that. David was feeling that venom. Just that enemy right there on a fence. And it was Saul in the army who was after David to destroy his life, to kill him. And it was more than just strong words. It was, we're going to take you out. And David, you know, responded to that commercial, dang, you want to get away? And he did. He ran. He was in Keilah, and he got word from the Lord, hey, guess what? Saul is coming to get you. So he took off. And he left, he left Keilah, and it says the men went and found any place that they could find to get away and to get safe. So we don't really know if they got split up, scattered. Uh, it seems like they did. And I think David, as he is running off, is in a pretty lonely place, just trying to get away from the, the enemy, the pursuit of Saul. But one of the things that I don't want us to miss, right in the middle of, of just the enemy and the pressure and the, and the, the anger and the death wish... We see in 23.14 these two words that pop out as he's hiding in the cave in the strongholds. And the two words are, but God, but God. But God did not deliver David into the hand of Saul, but God. Those words are going to speak forth into this whole next section of chapter 23. But God stepped right into the middle of the enemy attacking hard. But God will deliver David out of the attack. But God will be right there with you in the middle of the desert when you go, how in the world am I going to escape this? They're right on the fence, Lord. My life is this close to being finished. How do I even have hope in circumstances like this? But God. It reminds me of Ephesians 2. Let me read that for you. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, all of us. We lived in the passions of the flesh, and we carried out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Man, we were, we were, we were led and influenced by the enemy. The flesh, the flesh got a hold of us, and we just couldn't, we couldn't fight it. The world system and its morality, we bought into it. 
and we were trapped. There seemed to be no hope. There seemed to be nothing but death. And Ephesians 2, 4 has two words. But God. What did God do? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he has loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, like at the core of our sin, there was no hope of life. Right in the middle of that. But God. We were dead there. He made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. And look at the promises of the Lord. Verse 6. And he raised us up, and he raised us up with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But God, when everything seemed hopeless and dead, and there was nothing that we could look at but God. And that's what he's doing with David, and that's what he does in our lives. When we're in the middle of the desert, when we have the enemy right on us, God delivers and God saves us. That's who our Lord is. And like we talked about last time, the hand of God is so much more powerful than the enemy. And he will lead us, and he will guide us, and he will strengthen us. And what I want us to see this morning is how God delivers David out of the sure hand of death. And I want us to see God's love and his power in our lives, that he provides strength for us in the middle of the desert when all is in despair but God. David's on the run. Saul has got his whole army against him. David ends up in the strongholds and some of the caves. And we go, how is this all going to work out? And what's David's emotional state at the time? And I think he's, he's learning to trust in the Lord. He's been going to the Lord in prayer. He's been inquiring of the Lord how to live life. But I think he got to this place where I'm hiding out again, and I'm on the run again, and I am very alone in this cave. There may be, have been some men with him, but again, I think that position and that place and who God had called him to be I think he was very alone. Maybe struggling with a little depression. God, I don't get it here. Being alone on this journey of faith has got to be one of the most empty places. And as a body of Christ, I pray for us that we never let people get to a place of being alone in a cave and we don't come and surround them up. Love them up. I read this incredible story about a woman named Yvette Vickers. Yvette Vickers was famous for being in a lot of B-rated horror movies. She was most, she was most famous for her role in the movie The 50-Foot Woman, which was an old horror movie. Some of you have seen it. And she was in that movie... And Yvette Vickers died uh, last August. 
And what happened was, it was really interesting, is the neighbors started to notice, like, all the mail was gathering up. They noticed that the shutters had never really been lifted up for a while. And so they, one of the neighbors finally called the police and said, hey, we just noticed there hasn't been a lot of activity over at the house and just wanted to let you know. So they went into the house. And as they came in, they went upstairs. And Yvette Vickers was dead on the bed. But the thing that was really troubling was that her body was mummified, which means it had been there for at least a year, dead left alone. Nobody knew. And they went, and in her room, her computer was still on. She lay dead for over a year. And they checked her phone records, her cell records, and they called the people that she had been calling. And they found that the people she had been talking to, having conversations with, were actually fans of hers. Fans who loved her old movies. And so her only conversations in her last months of life were just with these random fans who loved her movies. She had nobody in her life, no friends, no family, nobody who loved her, and she lay dead for a year in her home. That's a lonely place, isolated, empty. And I think David, in that cave, was feeling very alone, and in need of someone to come by his side. And again, as a body of Christ, I pray that we're aware of those who might be lonely, of those who might feel a little outcast, that God, through the prompting of his Spirit, would move you towards one another. Right in the middle of running, right in the middle of the heat of the enemy at the fence, David hiding out, feeling alone in this cave, but God. But God does something awesome and comes along his side and he uses human flesh to be his love and he uses that in Jonathan, his friend. And my prayer for us is that we will learn to be friends like Jonathan was to David. Here's what the scriptures say, verse 15. Now David became aware that Saul had come to seek out his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose, and he went to David at Horesh, and he strengthened his hand in God. And thus he said to him, Do not be afraid, because the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you, And you will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. And Saul, my father, knows that also. And so the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And David stayed at Horesh, while Jonathan went to his house. But God stepped into an isolated place where David was alone and hurting and on the run and used Jonathan. Look what the scriptures say. Jonathan arose and he went out to where David was. 
What in the world prompted Jonathan to go out and, and find David and see where he was at? I think, but God. They'd made a covenant before. They loved each other deeply, didn't they? They, were, they had the deepest friendship that you and I could ever long for. And I think, but God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, prompted Jonathan. Hey, Jonathan, now I need you to go out and find David and come along his side because he needs you now. You know what? I know God does that with us. He's done it with me a lot, and I know he does it with you. That he starts to prompt your spirit. He starts to put someone in your heart that, you know what? I haven't thought of that person in a while, and all of a sudden God's bringing them to my mind and to my heart. I guarantee you it's the Lord wanting us to enter in with brothers and sisters because they need us by their side because they're at that place of loneliness. They're at that place where they're hurting. You see, we all have the same spirit. You don't think the spirit prompts us for those things? He does. And when he does, would you respond? Would you rise up like Jonathan did and go and be by your friend's side? You know, we're friends like that. We care about each other and we just kind of get busy with life. I know that. But God still wants you to rise up and move and get out there and love some of your dear friends because they need you. They need you. So respond to the Spirit like Jonathan did. He arose up, and, and the, thing, the thing you've got to love about this scene is, is Jonathan rises up. You've got, you've got Saul and his whole army. You've got the Ziphites that we're going to read about later. They're all out to capture David. And, and they're all out to find him and, and figure out where he is and then just take him out. God spurs on Jonathan, and Jonathan just cruises right into camp. Hey, David, God told me to come find you. If that's not a but God moment, I don't know what is. You know what I mean? How do you all of a sudden find where David's at when nobody can find him? How is he all of a sudden aware? I think that's God's GPS system, right? Hey, turn left here at that rock. He's going to be up in the cave, second cave on the left. I really believe God works that way. I think he does. I think he prompts us, he leads us, he moves us exactly where you need to be. Not just by accident that Jonathan found David. So Jonathan shows up. And look at these beautiful words. David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The scriptures say he showed up and he strengthened his hand. He strengthened his hand in God. I have that visual. Of he just strengthened his grip on God. And he did that by offering these words. Do not be afraid, David. Those are the words of the Lord to his people. All throughout the history of life with the Lord. Abraham, don't be afraid. Joshua, as you're about to take the land, do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous. 
I think God is using Jonathan to speak forth his words that he's spoken to his people all throughout the centuries because we're a fearful people when we're hiding out in the desert and we don't get it. David, don't be afraid. God has got you. And he will not deliver you into the hand of Saul. And let me remind you that my dad will not find you. Don't be afraid, David. And you can just feel David's spirit being strengthened in God through Jonathan's words. Sometimes we need to offer those words to our dear friends who are really struggling. Don't be afraid. God has your life. And then he says this, Hey, David, you will be king over Israel. What's he really saying there? What I believe he's saying is, David, don't forget the promises of God. Don't for one second you forget what God has said to you. You are the anointed king. You are the one who will be king over Israel. Don't you forget God's promises. He is a God who keeps his promises. He won't break that. You know, we do. We just forget promises that the Lord has made to us. What promises do you need to hold on to? To be strengthened in the hand of God. Maybe the promise of the fact that you are saved. That you truly have salvation. You know, I know a lot of Christian brothers and sisters who have come to Christ and then they live the rest of their life in fear that they're going to lose their salvation. They just live in fear of that. God says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe upon him, believe upon him, should not perish, but have life everlasting. Have life everlasting. God knows the heart. God knows the heart. But if you've put your faith, if you've surrendered to him, he says, you're a child of mine. Remember what I remind you of John 10? John 10 says, hey, listen, my father has a grip on you. And if my father has you in his grip, there is no one, no one, that means nobody, not even yourself, no one can take you out of his hand. Do you need to be reminded that you're a child of God? Saved, cleansed, washed? That's the promises of God. Maybe you need to be reminded that there is more than just this planet, that we're aliens passing through. Maybe we need to be reminded of the promises of God that guess what? There is heaven. There is eternity with our Lord. That these bodies of ours that fail all the time, that guess what? There is a place where they will be fully restored. Revelation 21 says this. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them 
and He will be their God. That is true. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You know what, you guys? We're all going to die. Some of you are closer to that than others. These bodies of ours are just broken. But guess what? You need to hold on to the promises of God. There's so much more than this place. And we are aliens passing through. And as children of God, we have life forever with Him in eternity. That's the truth. Write it down, John. I want people to know. Maybe you just need to be reminded that God loves you. Even in the middle of your messed up sin that each of us has. For God so loved the world. That's why he died for us, because we are messed up. Jeremiah 31 says this. The Lord appeared to us and he said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Do you believe that? That's a love that never ends. That's a love that keeps pouring out upon us. That's a love like we deal with our children who, who disobey and run away. And yet, for some crazy reason, we're still radically in love with our kids. Even though they kick against us. God says, that's an everlasting love I have for you. Maybe you just need to be reminded this morning of the promises of God. He loves you with an everlasting love. Right where you're at. Right in the middle of the mess. Right in the middle of your ugly sin. Just like you and I have. A good friend reminds those who are hurting and in the desert and under attack, here's who God is in the middle of this, so don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And look what he says, Jonathan, look what else he says. I think he gives us a great example of how we come alongside one another. And he says, I will be second. I don't think this necessarily means second in rank. I think it has the idea that David... I'm going to be right by your side. And David, I've got your back. I think he's speaking forth words of what's true of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. Paraclete means one who is with you, right by your side. I think Jonathan acts like the Holy Spirit right here. Hey, David, I'm going to go through this journey with you. As long as God has me on this planet, I've got you. I've got you covered. I heard some stuff in the house of what my dad was saying. And so I needed to find you because I got your back. I got your back. Man, that feels good when a friend comes along your side. I heard this great story about this couple in Alaska. George and Dorothy Murphy. Now, Dorothy and George were 85 years old. They lived in Alaska. They're out on this long drive. And they have their two golden retrievers with them, and they, they stop after many hours of driving, and they just the, let the dogs out for fresh air and, and just to go run a little bit. 
And, and George, the husband, goes and he does this. Dorothy stays in the, in the car. And as George has the, has the dogs running out, out of nowhere, in the middle of Alaska, this moose, huge moose, comes charging at George. And just, just rams right into him and then starts just stomping all over him. 85-year-old man. And he's just under trying to cover up. Dorothy is in the car, in the truck, and she sees in the rearview mirror that her, her husband is being stomped by this moose. She's 85. She's five feet tall. She looks around, looks around the truck, and she finds this shovel. She gets out, and she runs over to where the moose is, and with all of her strength at five feet tall, she takes that shovel and just, bam, just clocks the moose in the jaw and startles the moose, and she just keeps hitting the moose. 85-year-old, five-foot woman. I needed her at the baseball game. <laughs> She's just unleashing, and then the dogs get into it, and the moose, the moose finally scurries away. George is bloodied up. He has seven broken ribs and a, a six-inch deep wound on his forehead. But he healed up. And she said this. She said, that was my best friend out there. And she said this. You know what? We've helped each other over all these years out of a lot of problems before. This just happened to be the latest problem. That's a good friend. That's a good friend. Sometimes we need to come alongside our friends with a shovel and let them know we got their backs. Let them know we're taking care of them. And she steps in, and Jonathan does that as a good friend. Cares for David. Beautiful words. Don't be afraid, David. Let me remind you of who you are. And then there's covenant. A covenant is made. It's an affirmation of their beautiful relationship. A reminder that you're not alone in this journey. It's a reminder that God is a God of covenant. Sometimes we forget that. God has made covenant with us. We are his people and he is our God. God has our lives. He does not break relationship with us even though we try to break relationship with him. And sometimes we need, as friends, to come along each other's side and just affirm that, and affirm that we are like that. And like in a beautiful marriage ceremony, we covenant to one another, and we say, hey, we're going to do this journey together. We're going to do it together in the strength of the Lord. But we run this race together. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. In Proverbs 18, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Are you that kind of friend? To have friends, we need to be a friend. Are you that kind of friend? Because the reality is we need each other. We need each other. We can't do this journey alone. 
And Jonathan sets the example of what it means to strengthen our hand on God. And I know that the Holy Spirit is prompting some of you, even this morning, I need to go strengthen someone's hand on God and come along their side. So rise up in that. Here's the final thing he reminds David of. Hey, David, the enemy, Saul, who happens to be my dad, Saul knows the outcome. Saul knows he won't win this battle. Saul knows that you're going to be king. The enemy knows the ultimate story. And isn't that true of our enemy, Satan? He knows his head will be crushed. He knows he'll be thrown into that fiery lake. He knows that God's hand is more powerful than his. But while God allows him time on this planet as the prince of the air, he will keep attacking. And that's what's happening in this story. He keeps attacking. But Jonathan shows up, I think, at a very lonely time for David. And he strengthened his hand on God. And will you do the same, dear saints? Will you do the same? Because the enemy is still coming strong. What happens, and let me paraphrase this next little section, is the enemy is coming strong. The Ziphites, the Z-men, they are, they are wanting to make some sort of alliance with, with Saul. And so they say, hey, Saul, here's the deal. We're pretty sure David's hiding out in our territory. And so let us tell you where he is. And Saul says, listen, thank you. Somebody understands me. I mean, really. He's like, somebody's finally for me. He's just a murderer. But listen, I know that David's crafty, so I want you to really make sure you've got a dial on where he's at. And when you do, I want you to come back and tell me where he's at because then I'm going to come in and I'm going to attack and I'm going to hit him hard and I'm going to hit him strong. And so the Ziphites find out where David is and then they report to Saul. They go ahead of Saul. They make sure he's getting surrounded so that when Saul shows up with his army, hey, we can flank David here and we'll have him trapped. So at the moment... What starts to happen is the enemy is hitting strong and that fence is right there and the heat is coming through. But God. But God. It's an amazing story. Look what happens in verse 26. Saul was going along one side of the mountain and David and his men were on the other side. And look how it's building up hurrying to get away from Saul. They're that close. And Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men were about to capture him. You can see the tension building. Everything is escalating. Verse 27. And a messenger came to Saul saying, Come quickly. The Philistines are raiding the land. And then, verse 28, Saul broke off his pursuit of David and he went to meet the Philistines. And that is why they call this place the place of escape, or slippery rock. And David went up from there, and he lived in the strongholds of Angedi. I don't have Jonathan anymore. He went home. Saul is in hot pursuit, 
and he is so close I can feel his presence. I'm surely about to die. I'm going to lose this battle. How in the world can I be delivered from this? What are two of the greatest words in all of Scripture? But God. There's an amazing verse that comes up. Look at verse 27. Right in the middle. I mean, they're, they're just about to nail him. He can't run anywhere. He's totally, totally surrounded. Verse 27, and a messenger comes to Saul. What? What? Right in the middle of the battle? Right in the middle of finally capturing your enemy, your greatest enemy, that you finally get to put to death? A messenger shows up. This is a divine moment. This is a but God moment that we just can't escape. There's this new character that's, that's thrust into this drama out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. And the, the narrator leaves us with this question, who is this messenger? And who sent this messenger to come right in the middle of the battle? Who, who was involved in this? And it's somewhat ambiguous for us but not for David, but God. Messenger, same word used in the Hebrew, malach, for angel. And an angel showed up. And David, in Psalm 35, says this. I don't think he's confused about who that messenger is. He says this, Let their way be dark and slippery. Slippery is what he named the rock. The slippery rock. He was able to slip away. Let their way be dark and slippery, those who come after me. With the angel of the Lord pursuing them. You see, Saul has his whole army. David has all of God's angels. His hand is stronger. For without cause they hid their nets for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my soul. But God stepped into the middle of that. David memorializes that rock, that place of escape, that slippery rock. And here's what's beautiful about the passage and how, but God stepped in. Then he he flees. He escapes sure death. Sure death. Yeah, I mean, you got to understand something. Just last week we talked about, about how there was an attack on Keilah. The Philistines were attacking Keilah. What did Saul do about that? Not a thing. All of a sudden there's another region being attacked by the Philistines, and all of a sudden Saul feels like, oh, I better go step into that one. But God, really, you can't go anywhere else but that. Do you see God's hand in our lives? David is provided salvation, and that's who our Lord is. David is provided God's hand in the middle of it. David is strengthened in the hand of God, and he slips away, and he goes to the strongholds of Angedi. He runs through the desert. He's still in the desert. And I wanted to show you this place where he ran to. This is the desert 
that he would have been coming through. As we went to Israel this year, this area that you see that where the cave is, that actually is the area of Qumran. But this desert region that's, that's pretty close to the Dead Sea, it's hot, hot, hot there. And it's probably one of the hottest places that we go to on the whole trip. It's just hot. And you're just standing out and you're like, let's move on. Really cool to see it, but we're finished, you know? David is, is fleeing. But look at this. So this is what's so cool about God and how he strengthens our grip on him and how he uses dear friends and how God's presence is made known. Running through the desert, and this is where he shows up. Show where he shows up. This is An Gedi. This is Angedi. This is an oasis in the middle of the desert. And I want to tell you something. This waterfall that Caleb is being refreshed in, this is the smallest waterfall. It's the littlest one. You keep going up the trail, and it just pours out on you. Do you see God? He brings us to this place of refreshing. And he strengthens our soul. When the enemy is right on us, when life is just upside down, when we see that there's no hope, we feel that way. And God delivers us. And you just need to know, as children of God, he does the same for you and me. He brings friends into our life, like Jonathan, to remind us of who God is. And God, just in and of himself, brings the power of the Holy Spirit to remind you of who he is. But God, Father, we just thank you. We thank you for how much you love us, and we thank you that you're with us right in the middle of the desert, right in the middle when we're just feeling attacked from all angles, when it feels like we're losing the battle. Lord, that you provide a dear friend to come and strengthen our grip on you. And we thank you, Father, for those friends in our life that you have provided. And we thank you, Father, for the power of your Spirit that delivers us when the enemy is is just breathing on our necks, wanting to murder us. And that you provide that slippery rock, that place of escape, and bring us to a place of oasis, of refreshing for our soul. Father, I pray that you would prompt our spirits that we could come alongside those who need, to be, who need to have their hands strengthened upon you. Because we know you do that, Father. You set us on firm foundation. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your precious name, amen.